Our Game of Thrones rewatch is just 60 seconds away. But first, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsors. Those are our friends over at True Car. Because if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for. But what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why True Car has True Price. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car is going to show you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealers know this and they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones full series rewatch on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are going to be talking smoke monsters and not the kind from the Man in Black. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh my God. Beginning with a lost reference, be still my heart. I am great. I am officially doing quite well, Rob. Happy holidays to you. Yes. Happy holidays to you, too, Josh Wiggler, as we talk about episode five of season two, The Ghosts of Harrenhal, Ghosts of Harrenhal, singular, and uh, a lot of fun stuff to get to. I did really like this episode. You liked this one. Uh, what was it about this episode you really liked? Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of uh, uh, interesting stuff in here to talk about. Maybe not as much in the East uh, with the stuff going on in Karth, which is playing out kind of how we anticipated on the rewatch a little slow a little, a little slow, slow. A little slow. but uh, a lot of stuff to uh get to uh josh very excited to uh have this discussion with you today yeah i i i hear you i'm definitely excited to talk game of thrones i feel like this episode is like some of the scenes that feel like they're like really important moments within the episode just look so strange to me. Like the very first scene of this entire episode with Renly Baratheon getting assassinated by that shadow creature we saw Melisandre birth at the end of last week's episode. Just like the way that he is killed in the mirror, just always like the way that shot was constructed always just felt very funky to me. I don't know if that read as odd to you at and then the other one that feels really weirdly conceived is the stuff with Pyatt Pre and Karth, mm-hmm. where suddenly there's two of these guys, yeah. and he just kind of like steps out of frame, then steps into frame, then very awkwardly steps back into frame. Just always felt a little more... I don't know, felt more network TV than prestige HBO, uh, the way that these episodes were filmed. So it was really mostly just those two scenes, but they just always take me out. Like those are two of my least favorite scenes in the entire series, I think. Yeah, the supernatural stuff, I think, is pretty tough to nail down. Uh, I'm sure we will talk through both of those moments in greater detail. Maybe not as much the, you know, the Pyatt Pre. Uh, we won't, probably won't spend a lot of time on him in this episode. Please no. no. Please no. I mean, I've just been, my lips are blue and my brain is mush, <laughs> so I 
I really can't get into it in great detail. Okay. And after this, we are at the halfway point of season two, Josh. That's crazy. Yeah, this is this is flying by Uh, more and more. I am convinced that we will be through with our full rewatch before Game of Thrones returns for those final six episodes. We'll have to figure out some way to stall along the way, but we'll 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 make it work. It'll be great. Maybe we'll get stuck in uh, uh, somewhere along the way. We'll be in the red waste, uh, but yeah, we're we're wasting no time. This is not only uh, halfway through season two, indeed, not only halfway through season two, Rob, but this is our last Game of Thrones podcast of 2017. Happy, uh, happy new year to you. Yeah, what a ride. What a ride. What a ride. What a ride. Okay, well, let's start with our headlines at this hour. Renly Baratheon, dead. He is deceased. He is gone. Uh, that is the end. One king off the board officially. Only one Baratheon brother left in the game. And this episode wastes no time in killing Renly. It is the first order of business. It is an immediate payoff on what happened with Melisandre and Davos at the end of last week's episode of episode four of season two. So at least that I do appreciate that the episode really gets to the matter at hand decisively quick. I know, but as you pointed out, in just terms of the execution of the scene, I'm not talking about the Renly. I thought that this is uh, one of uh, the worst deaths in my mind. And I don't mean like in the impactful ways. It's just like, what? What? It's really goofy. It's just done in such a goofy way. I thought it was cheap. It's a little cheap. It was a little cheap. It really was. And I and I think just a, a few things about it. You know, we've already talked about just like the way that like it's it's shot where you're like you're with Renly looking in the mirror and it just happens very suddenly. And of course it does because this is, you know, computer graphics interacting with a human actor. And that just doesn't look as good as some of the other ways that the that the physical stakes have been raised on Game of Thrones. Yeah, and it's up to 2012. This point. Yeah, it's 2012. Game of Thrones isn't like it's obviously on its way towards being, uh, you know, the hugest TV show of all time. And it's already super popular at this moment in time. Um, But it's still early days. And season two may or may not be conserving some budget for some other things that are coming up down the line. Uh, So it just it looks a little weird, uh, especially to have that in the mirror. And then the other thing that's really odd about this scene is immediately like three soldiers, like just storm into the tent. Like they know, and like they immediately accuse Brienne. Like, I feel like the whole choreography of this, uh, of this scene and Brienne just instantly murders these people. All mm-hmm. of it is, uh, it, gets, it gets very, very violent, very quickly. It really escalates quickly. Well, Kat and Renly are having this discussion and Kat is like, Renly, please, will, will you just talk to Stannis? You should negotiate with him. And Renly is like, negotiate with my brother. I'd be better off negotiating with the wind. And then like yeah. a gust of wind like blows the smoke monster in like a, a little on the nose. So that was a little a on the nose. A little bit, a little bit, just a, just a tiny, tiny bit on, on point there. Uh, but, you know. I have no defense well, of it. I enough no with complaining <laughs> about the smoke monster. We both did not love that part, even on the rewatch here. But the headline here is Renly is dead. Uh, that was a major faction vying for the Iron Throne. And we see Loris Tyrell and Marjorie with Littlefinger. Also, Marjorie is wearing like some bizarre costume in uh, this episode. Did you notice this? 
I didn't notice it specifically, but I do know Marjorie's fashion game is always on point. Yeah, well, normally it is, but she's wearing like a tube. I don't even understand what that <laughs> is that she's wearing. If you go back and watch it, it's really bizarre what she's in. She looks like that she uh, just came from uh, like a sausage race where she's like uh, racing against a kielbasa and a Polish sausage <laughs> at a Milwaukee Brewers game. Oh wacky my God. costume. Wow. Well, I'm sure she was the winner uh, of that race. I certainly hope so. Uh, she's certainly shrewd enough to know when it's time to like switch things up, right? So this is, as you said, this is a huge status quo shift. Renly Baratheon is dead. It is widely hypothesized among the people who were loyal to Renly that when Stannis arrives, all of Renly's loyalists are going to suddenly become loyal to Stannis as the last remaining Baratheon brother, especially because there's a lot of confusion over what happened to Renly, not just for the viewer, but for the people in this world where it's not entirely clear exactly how he died. Some people think that Catelyn was involved. Some people think it was Brienne. Uh, Tyrion later is going to tell Cersei. Some people think that it was Stannis himself. Nobody really knows. But Marjorie is made aware by Littlefinger uh, that it's probably time to, to hit the road unless you guys really want to be in a bad situation here. And Marjorie talks about, uh, I don't want to be a queen. I want to be the queen and gives Littlefinger a real knowing smirk at the end of this scene. And she's I think it's, a, it's she's a great smirker. Natalie Dormer is, is fantastic at that. And she's just so good as this character. Uh, and even though it is the death of Renly Baratheon at this point, I think the way that her storyline ends in this episode should indicate that we have not seen the last of Marjorie Terrell. And it'll be very fascinating to see where she pops up next. Yeah, it would have been good to see these three characters also talking a little bit about like, so what do you think happened? Like, I don't know. They're saying it was a ghost. I mean, where where's Cat Stark? Where's Brienne? Uh, that are are they just uh, are they buying the the hype or or is nobody even around to say it was a ghost? They're just assuming it was Brienne. Well, Loris does say, like, I don't believe that that Brienne did this. Like, who gains the most from Mark King's death? Yeah. So he's he's clearly pinning it on Stannis. But it is interesting that Littlefinger is paying no mind to the fact that Catelyn has uh, has fled the coop, uh, given his fascination and fixation on her. Um, so maybe that's all. But I think that above all else, uh, Littlefinger's primary engine is survival at all costs. I think is something that we can come to know about Littlefinger through uh, 15 episodes of Game of Thrones at this point. So maybe no surprise that he's most urgently concerned with like, hey, guys, let's get out of here. <laughs> this is not mm. going to be good if we're here when Stannis shows up. Not good. Yeah. Uh, we'll see Kat and Brienne later on in the episode. And Kat gets Brienne to swear loyalty to her as Brienne accepts as long as at some point she gets to go do her own thing and take care of Stannis. But in the meantime, she will serve Catelyn Stark. Right. She's going to serve Catelyn Stark. And that's an exciting combination. I'm really looking forward to the road show of Catelyn Stark and, and Brienne of Tarth, the King's Road show that seems to be transpiring here. I think that's a, uh, a fun character combination, the two of these people. I liked when Brienne was trying to kind of put her finger on what she liked about Cat, but she really couldn't. She's like, well, you seem brave no i mean not like in a battle sense but i don't know <laughs> you seem like vaguely starkish mm -hmm. yeah you know stark-esque so okay sure i'll go with it so uh brianne is now serving cat stark 
Let's talk about some of the uh, cool stuff going on in King's Landing. And we're going to see Cersei talking with Tyrion and that uh, Cersei is just like flat out wasted at this point. She's drunk. Yeah, <laughs> she she is like uh, she is not following her uh, her father's uh, approach toward alcohol during wartime. Uh, he is water before wine and she is wine before all else. It is, you know what that the, looking at that daylight that looks like 11 a.m. You know, it's, it feels like morning light that we're seeing coming through the window. Uh, and she's just flat out wasted at this point. Yeah. And so red wasted for sure. He wants to find out what is the plan. What is uh, Joffrey up to? She's like, well, he's not really telling me the plan, and uh, he has to end up finding out the plan from Lancel Lannister, right? Because Lancel is his informant after what happened last week, and Lancel is giving him the goods, like telling him the truth about like Cersei's got some wildfire being built, and wildfire, as we will come to know in this episode, is basically like the Game of Thrones equivalent of napalm. Like it is very explosive, almost atomic stuff. Like this is this is very, very serious business. And Tyrion is just giving Lancel the business the entire time that they're like inside That's of great. his palanquin. And he's just like talking about, I wonder how Jamie's going to react if he finds out what you and Cersei have been up to. He's like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you everything. I'm saying in the light of the seven by all that is holy and right. This is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and Tyrion's just having none of it. My favorite part is when Tyrion kicks Lancel out of the little carriage and he says, uh, please, will you tell Bronn to kill you if anything happens to me? And then Lancel goes into, uh, Bronn, please kill me if anything happens. Like, all right, it's not even fun to torture you. Yeah, I think that for, for, yeah, I think for Lancel, the move there was to just like accept that as a as a joke and move along because like what if something happens to Tyrion that has absolutely nothing to do with Lancel Lannister? Now he's dead. Bronn has sworn his own solemn vow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tyrion goes and checks out what the pyromancers have been working on, and uh, we see close to eight thousand. Barrels, buckets, what would you call those? Cauldrons, pots? Pots, pots, pots and pans. Yeah, Johnny Pots of Wildfire. I think the count was 7,811, uh, according to the to the late Roy Detrice, uh, who is playing Wisdom Haleen here, uh, who is uh, Roy Detrice, a great actor who was also the narrator of the A Song of Ice and Fire audiobooks, uh, which everyone should go and listen to because they're fantastic. So R.I.P. Roy Detrice, who is telling Tyrion like my sacred order really believes in this stuff like stop mocking me I'm telling you this is some dangerous lethal stuff and I think the proof is in the pudding when Tyrion goes down and sees just like the stores upon stores of wildfire and that's a great shot if you know if I'm condemning some of these other important shots in this episode I think it's uh, it's important to point out the ones that are really terrific and this image of Peter Dinklage turning around with all the wildfire in the background and him saying you won't be making wildfire for my sister any longer you'll be making it for me it's just a really really cool Tyrion Lannister moment yeah and even though it's probably on a green screen I like the little uh, rat that runs by also I like the rat as well Chekhov's rat is that rat going to be super important you'll have to wait and see spoiler free <laughs> people 
<laughs> okay. So then uh, we see what's going on at Harren Hall, and we get to see a little bit of Arya Stark as the cupbearer of Tywin Lannister as he's hatching plans and really chewing out Reginald Lannister. What did Reginald ever do? Reginald Val Lannister. What did that guy ever do? What was what was his? What I guess was his family deal? didn't matter to Tywin. <laughs> yeah, well, it mattered, enough, it mattered enough that he didn't uh, he didn't cut the guy's head off or hang him. He just sent him back to Lannisport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, "You're tired. Go to home. Go to bed." Yeah, did I do that? Yeah, so he sends. <laughs> He sends Reginald away and Tywin is uh, Tywin's a great character here where he is talking about, um, you know, he's paying a lot of respect to the king in the north, to Rob Stark. He's saying we've underestimated Rob Stark for too long. As long as he's keep going to keep winning battles, people are going to keep believing that he's the king in the north. Uh, everyone, we keep waiting for him to fail and he's not going to fail without our help. Uh, so I think that this is one of the cool traits about Tywin Lannister is, is he on the side of the anaconda snakes? Is he not so? Somebody that we are necessarily uh, supposed to like. Sure, absolutely. But he's shrewd and he's intelligent. And unlike Joffrey, he respects his opponent. Uh, and I think that that makes him even a scarier character in a lot of ways. So I love seeing the respect that he's paying for Rob Stark. That being said, so he he figured out that Arya is not Ari, figured out that the boy was a girl. Figures out that she's not from Maidenpool, figures out that she's from the North and still can't connect that. Like, maybe this is the missing Stark. You know, it's just possible that, like, I should ask her some questions just in case. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a tall order. You know, in this moment, I think it wouldn't be such a bad idea to just like, wait, you're from the North. Let's just dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah. I mean, it's so unfathomable to Tywin to think that he's made such a grave error, I think. Maybe that his pride blinds him a bit. Yeah, but she talks about how in the North they call Rob Stark the young wolf. Arya says this. She says uh, they say he rides into battle on the back of a giant direwolf and can turn into a wolf himself when he wants. They say he can't be killed. And Tywin says, do you believe them? And Arya says, no, my lord. Anyone can be killed, which was I remember vividly that being one of the catchphrases that you would hear about season two and like the trailers leading up to season two of Game of Thrones dropping of Macy Williams uttering that line. Anyone can be killed. Iconic. And I think in the wake of the death of, of Ned Stark, of Sean Bean's surprise exit from Game of Thrones in season one, I think that HBO and Game of Thrones was really trading on the idea that anybody could be removed from the map at any point in time. Um, let's see if Game of Thrones has shocks at the level of Ned Stark's death in store for us as we're moving forward. Uh, but I think it would be wise at least to heed the words of Arya in this moment. Okay. We see Arya come out of the planning session that Tywin has going on and she runs into Jack and Hagar who now wears the Lannister uniform and she's like kind of pissed off at him. She's like, what? You're, you're, you're a soldier now? He's like, well, aren't you doing the same thing? Aren't you working for these guys? 
Fair point. Fair point. It's like you're you've infiltrated them. I infiltrated them. Why is it okay for you to have done it and not for me? Um, And besides, she should be a little more respectful towards somebody who is going to kill three people as a favor to her. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what Jack and Hagar wants to offer. You saved uh, me and two others. So you basically get three death wishes. You get three death wishes. Uh, He says a man pays his debts. A man owes three. The red God takes what is his. Only death may pay for life. You saved me and the two I was with. You stole three deaths from the red God. We have to give them back. Speak three names and the man will do the rest. Three lives I will give you. No more, no less. Which is a lot of pressure to put on Arya. What if Arya was not somebody who had like a lot of like vengeance and bloodlust in her heart and she didn't want to kill anybody? Right. It's like you have to have three people die. She's like, I don't want to kill anybody. Ah, Well, I said no less. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. Arya really wastes one of these wishes on the tickler. Well, the tickler seems like a bad dude. I mean, he's like strapping buckets to people's chests with rats inside. Again, Chekhov's rat. Oh, uh, that was the rat. Up. That was the rat. That was the rat. It burrowed all the way through that poor guy in Harrenhal and made it to the wildfire stores in King's Landing in just an episode. Uh, No, but I mean, this guy has been torturing everybody. So I understand, you know, her feeling a a little revengeful towards the tickler. Uh, But maybe she could have aimed a little bit higher. Right. She could have just thrown out a bigger name. Like, all right, let's see what you can do. So, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, that's uh, the name that she comes up with, Tickler, and uh, R.I.P. the Tickler. Yeah, we were we were a stickler for the Tickler, and <laughs> he is gone now. The Tickler has ha- will tickle I think no we were more. A stickler for him. I just wanted to say it. I think <laughs> I don't think I had anything behind it other yeah. than just wanting to say the words. Okay, uh, we see Theon and company. We see uh, Theon heading out on the sea bitch and uh, his crew really uh, is uh, really uh, insubordinate in terms of how they're acting towards Captain Theon. Yeah, Theon Greyjoy, the Rodney Dangerfield of Westeros. He can get no respect. Uh, You know, he's just (laughs) the sea bitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's I, I don't have a great Rodney Dangerfield on standby. Uh but he's having like a hard time with these guys who who like one of them says uh I'm I won't repeat the exact phrase here, but he's been raiding and reaving since before Theon left Balon Greyjoy's something. Uh and he's talking about how like I could be a captain if I just had a ship, you know where I can get a ship. And Theon's like, I'm going to hang you. I'm going to, you know, if you keep acting this way. And then his sister shows up yet again to laugh at him in front of all of these ironborn. And poor guy is just uh, he's not able to to get a foothold here, though. Hard to say poor guy for Theon Greyjoy. I mean, he's really he's coming across rather poorly here uh, in these in these first few episodes here of, uh, of season two of Game of Thrones. Yeah, but he does have a first mate, uh, a guy by the name of Dagmar Clefjaw who says, uh, really, is this uh, mission really the best use of our time? Uh, you know, he talks him into raiding Tarin Square. And uh, but he sort of is like negging Theon a little bit into doing it where he sort of like puts it out there. And then Theon is like, oh, yeah, you're uh, raiding Tarin Square. And he's like, well, you probably think we can't do it. He's like, well, well we could do it. Yeah. And gets Theon uh, to uh, go ahead with this mission, which is ultimately going to draw the Starks out. 
Right. As we see at Winterfell, they're going to catch wind of what is happening at Torrin Square. So this is happening off screen. But given that what we see here in this scene in the Iron Islands, it's pretty clear that Theon's plan has gone into practice. And Bran is going to send uh, Roger Castle and, you know, however many men to go and deal. Yeah, 200 men to go and deal with that situation. Even then, you know, before then, Theon was saying, you know, we couldn't hold Torrin Square for more than a few days because the Starks would send men to take it back as soon as they heard about it dot 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 hmm like hmm. it seems like a light bulb goes off for for theon so tbd on how that will all shake out we also have some action going on north of the wall as we see the crew led by uh, jorah mormont they are meeting up with uh corin halfhand and we are planning to try to attempt an assassination of Mance Raider, who Corrin Halfhand believes is over them there mountains. Corrin Halfhand seems to be the Chuck Norris of the Night's Watch. Like, that's <laughs> the way that they're talking about this guy. Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, giants existed north of the wall until they met Corrin Halfhand. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just the, the mythology around this guy. Like, everybody seems to think he's a real badass. And he comes in with, uh, you know, an interesting report where he's saying, like, Mance Raider is not that far away. But in order to get to him, we have to assassinate a scouting party that's between us and them if we kill mance then the wildlings will scatter to the nine winds like this big threat that is uh, being assembled north of the wall here where these wildlings may come and try to to pass castle black and into the seven kingdoms we'll be able to derail that plan if we're able to assassinate mance raider mance raider who he says used to be one of us used to be a member of the night's watch is going to be teaching all of these wildlings, their customs, their ways, how to operate as a member of the Night's Watch, how to think like them. So we got to think like them. We got to think like wildlings. We got to act a little more like them. Um, And that is going to require a small squadron, a very, very tiny, tight group, a stealth squad to carry out this mission. And Jon Snow is going to volunteer for the job. He wants to go on the mission. He wants to go ranging. Yeah. And I did like that Jon Snow, when he's trying to go out there and be on this uh, ranging party and this mission, that he says, uh, like, well, I killed a white. And then uh, Lord Commander Mormont says, yeah, but you also got your butt kicked by Craster. He's an old man. <laughs> but then Corrin Halfhand, like, yeah. I think, like, kind of like validates Well, he's a like, tough oh. old goat. Yeah, to like, be uh, fair. I guess so. It. Yeah, he just said he was the tough old greatest of all time. So I think that that, you know, validates the idea that that uh, Craster is up to this point, the physically strongest character we've met on Game of Thrones. So John shouldn't feel too bad about getting his ass kicked by Craster. OK, and then in the East, uh, we see Danny and company hanging out a little bit more in Karth. They go to like a garden party and uh, Danny talks to the warlock. But then uh, she is really, you know, uh, sort of wined and dined by Zarazaran Daxus. And uh, he ultimately ends up, one, really throwing some shade at Jorah and says that how he's in love with Danny kind of gets in her head a little bit with that. And he also proposes marriage and says, hey, I've got this giant safe. 
Yeah, I've got this really cool safe. It can be yours if you choose to marry me. Marriage is what brings us together today. So yeah, so he wants to. He he comes across at first as an unambitious guy, according to Daenerys, but he's got these greater ambitions. Um, and Jorah Mormont really does not like this plan. No, he's 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 out on it, and I think we know why. And Zarazo and Doxas is going to tell us why he thinks that Jorah Mormont is in love with Daenerys. And Daenerys certainly seems to be picking up on that vibe as well in this final scene with Jorah and Danny, where he's talking about how centuries can pass without somebody as pure hearted as you. Yeah. And he tells her that he will go out there. I will find you a ship. And I'm, I'm shipping you and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, That's he doesn't have ship. to look very far. He doesn't have to look very far. He just needs access to Tumblr and he'll be on that pretty quick. <laughs> You have a pure heart, Khaleesi. Yeah. yeah. So that's shipping, shipping that, and we'll see uh, where Danny's heart goes. Anything else, Josh, before we get into all of the spoilers? No, not really. I mean, I guess the only other scene we didn't really touch on is uh, Davos and Stannis have a little bit of a meeting about what to do next. It seems like uh, Davos is able to convince Stannis uh, that maybe you shouldn't take Melisandre into battle for your next big campaign. People have been talking. Harsh truths uh, we're starting to hear about, which is what we always dish out here on these podcasts, Rob. Uh, So Davos is able to successfully convince Stannis, at least in this conversation, that Melisandre shouldn't be with him anymore, at least for the battles. And Stannis then tells Davos, well, you're going to be in charge of the fleet, which Davos does not seem to be psyched about. Okay, so that's one blast for Rangers. That's two blasts for Wildlings and then three blasts for spoilers, right? That's right. I think that's how it goes. I read that in a book. I've read that in a book as well. You always read things from books. All right. Spoilers are here. We are in the spoiler section. Spoiling away. Spoiling away. Everything is eligible. So now we can talk about how Corin regains the second half of his hand. Oh, my God. Later on in season two, which is so weird. It grows back. It grows back. Yeah. Yeah, The smoke hand. The smoke hand. Smoke hand. uh, Let's just keep going with uh, Davos and Stannis because uh, Davos with some rare bad advice here. Yeah, this would have been great to bring Melisandre to the battle. Yeah, I don't know what battle. he's talking about here. He's like, yeah, but then people won't respect you. They'll think that she won the city. Yeah, but you know what? Then you'd have the Iron Throne. You'd have the Iron Throne. You'd have the Iron Throne. Yeah, so and you would wouldn't be, be dead, Stannis. And then you deal with your Melisandre problem another time. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it is interesting to me. First of all, we talked about how, like, the the smoke children apparently, like, take something out of the father. And I do think that you get this sense that Stannis is a little wearier than he was beforehand. I think, like, that final shot of him once Davos is gone, like, he just seems like he's, he's exhausted. He's spent. Uh, so I thought that that was a cool note. Um, but beyond that... I think Davos is just so skeeved out by what happened with Melisandre that he's like, don't don't do that. Don't bring her. You don't want to do that. Um, But if he had if he had been able to accept magic back then, it does make you think about the alternate path. Uh, We we talk about those a lot here on this rewatch podcast of like, how would things have been different if Stannis had Melisandre at the Battle of Blackwater? Like that wildfire explosion starts 
And is Melisandre able to just like contain that, blow it back onto King's Landing? Like, how does that play given her affinity for fire magic? Yeah. I mean, I do think that her powers seem a little bit more contained than that. I mean, I'm trying to remember towards uh, in season five. Does she is she able to change the trajectory of the snowstorm or or did like that not even work what she ended up doing with Shireen? Yeah, I don't think it worked. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It seems like there's so like she seems like in very specific moments she can bring Jon Snow back to life. She can birth a smoke baby. She can yeah. do like very specific things. But it doesn't seem like she could necessarily like have like X-Men ability and be able to like uh, redirect wildfire. Yeah, no, that would be uh, Sophie Turner's responsibility, considering she is the Dark Phoenix. Uh, I do think we got to give her a little bit of slack, Melisandre, uh, because uh, we did not know this at the time. But of course, we know now that she's so old that, you know, sometimes it's just not going to work out. Like sometimes like she probably just doesn't have the energy to do it all. Right. Now, just going back to the aforementioned smoke baby that when Kat and Brienne are talking about what happened, uh, Brienne seems to be pretty confident like that smoke monster was the exact shape of Stannis. You didn't see that? You didn't see what the exa- like what show was Brienne watching? Yeah, she was watching. I don't know. She, she was like trying to convince the viewer of a thing that the show itself could not convince the viewer. That's another reason why that's so weird. It's so, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is one of the one of the goofiest, lamest special effects in Game of Thrones history. Uniconic, uniconic. That image of Shadow Stannis killing Renly. So I, I don't know that if that was supposed to be status, then uh, I don't I don't know what was going on there. But I one of the things I thought was uh, the most fun on this rewatch was when Tyrion is talking to Lance Lannister that it's Lance Lannister. That's the first character that we're going to really hear talk about wildfire and how Cersei has this huge store of it under the city. And then he's also going to be the same person who's trying to and unsuccessfully save King's Landing from destruction via wildfire in season six. Yeah, he's calling his own shot on his own death here, which is which is a great moment. And on top of that, he's like getting very, um, you know, very holier than thou about like the fact that he's telling the truth. And he starts talking about in the light of the seven and by all that is holy and right, uh, which is which is, you know, doubly ironic, because by the time that he is going to get wildfired to death, he will be part of the faith militant. Uh, so this this was a fun scene. I noted that as well, that Lancel is talking about wildfire here in such a devout way. Uh, that it's just it's all going to line up so perfectly with the way that this character eventually exits the show. Right. And there is plenty of talk about how these wildfire stores that are underneath the city, you know, this is enough to really, uh, you know, blow away King's Landing. We've got to be very careful with this stuff. So all of that was baked into this all the way back from season two. Yeah, there's some great stuff in this episode in King's Landing. Again, seeing Roy Detrice, that's fantastic. Uh, you do wonder, you know, about the, you know, we, we wondered about her on the podcast at the time. I remember, like, how does, does Cersei have, like, all of that Lannister? Uh, does she have all of that wildfire? Uh, and 8,000 pots of wildfire. We'll have to track at the Battle of Blackwater just how much wildfire is is uh, is blowing up there. I feel like there was still a healthy storage of uh 
uh, of wildfire by the time that Cersei's going to be able to implement that in season uh, season six, rather. Yeah, and Cersei could have had them make more. It's also possible. It's also possible. Uh, did you enjoy when Cersei said to Tyrion, aren't you always so clever with your schemes and plots? And Tyrion said schemes and plots are the same thing. Not what I heard. Up. I've heard it differently. Gotta, I've heard it differently, gotta, Josh. Gotta, gotta call Sir Bloomberg. Yeah. So we'll see if schemes and plots change the rules yes, are before, uh, huh. <laughs> one and the same. That, that, yeah. that is a uh, good question. Yeah, we need a rule change before a survivor goes to Perrin Hall Island. Yes, so we'll yeah. we'll find out about that. All right, let's talk about what's going on in Quarth. Uh, we Quarth, it's Quarth. <laughs> Get rid of that, you. Yeah. But it's Quaith is the woman with the mask. So you were, you know, it's confusing. It's all very confusing in Quarth. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the woman in the mask, Josh. So the woman in the mask is a bigger deal in the books than she is on the show. I mean, I think that she's going to show up one more time here in season two, if I'm remembering right. Um, but she's somebody who like shows up with lots of like notes of prophecy to Daenerys at uh, these kind of exciting opportunities. Uh, and and you don't really know what her deal is. She's got the mask on. You think that she's from a shy. Uh, but there's all sorts of like wild and crazy theories about the character and who she is and what she's all about. Uh, I've seen uh, like time traveling versions of different characters like Daenerys or even R as possibilities for who Quaith is. Um, if any of that is true or if there is anything like vitally important uh, to Quaith that has not been revealed in the books yet, I cannot imagine that it is ever revealed on the show. But I think that her inclusion here in season two is it's fascinating to me. And like, I think that season two and, you know, we're halfway through season two at this point. Like it's a it's still Game of Thrones, so it's better than so much else that's on TV. TV, but it is kind of like this odd creative misfire of like in some instances they're really adhering very closely to the books in some instances they're veering wildly away from the books like the stuff that they're doing here in Karth but they're including certain aspects of the Karth storyline like bringing Quaith into the mix here and I just wonder like what were you guys planning like what were you what were you gonna do with this character like what was happening so I don't know. It just doesn't read well on screen. Like that scene with Jorah and Quaith is so bizarre. It's so odd. It just does not play right at all. It was still worth it back at the Throners in season two after David Letterman went from <laughs> his infamous Hodor Hada bit, went right into the Karth Quaith bit. Uh, it slayed. It's Slade. It's Sammy Slade. <laughs> Definitely more than three people who got that, by the way. So I'll I'll take a I'll take a drink for that. I think it was four. I think it was. It four. was at least this. Hold the four. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with all of that. I hate Pyatt Priest so much. I've decided. I think. That, I think that this is my least favorite character in Game of Thrones. I hate this guy so what much. And the way you that, hate so much about I, him. I don't know. I just hate how he says mother of dragons like it's just uh, all of it is so uh it's so grating it's yeah, so it's grating. a little on the nose in like uh i am a warlock come to the house of the undying like there's no upside here in any of this so just like uh, i don't know just like you know feasting on like blue raspberry flavored lollipops or whatever the crap yeah. it is that he's got 
brush your teeth, man. Like you're talking to the mother of dragons here. Work on your sales pitch a little bit. It's also so odd that there are suddenly two of him that just show up and everybody in Karth is just like, oh, that's such a good trick. And no one's like, ah, ah, that's so terrifying. How did he do that? (laughs) Like no one, no one is freaked out. Zaro comes in and really just, uh, uh, jock blocks him here and just is like oh those guys uh they do their little parlor tricks uh they try to make it seem like they got something going on but no yeah. no it's really not that cool you ever see the prestige it's kind of like the same deal <laughs> uh, spoilers for those who haven't seen the prestige yet yeah uh, so, so i don't know yeah. i hate this character so much i'm i'm i can't wait to get out of season two so we can just leave all of this behind it's really it's so boring it's so boring the the car stuff i i hate this i hate this storyline so much yeah really a long con also from zaro with uh i've got a big vault it's filled with so much gold and um the richest man ever and uh, i've got this amulet to like, I mean, why does he go through with all this trouble of like having this big vault and then there's nothing in it? There's nothing in it, right? Like, that's how it plays <laughs> out ultimately. Like, there's literally just nothing inside it except for Zaro and uh, uh, the Handmaiden by the end of the season. Who, by the way, Doria, who we have not uh, talked about this, but I mean, that's the captain of sports, right? Like, that's basically this. This is the the Danielle Di Lorenzo of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Why do you say that? Because she looks like she her? Just, she looks identical. They're identical. Yeah. Daenerys Di Lorenzo is the thing. Okay. Why? What does she do that she ends up having to get thrown in there with Zaro? She's Team Zaro. She uh, she goes from hero to Zaro. Uh, she betrays Daenerys, and I th- I don't know if she kills. I think that she kills the other. Yeah, man I don't remember the I'm details. That we'll have to watch how that I've plays tried, out. I've really tried to forget this stuff as much <laughs> as I possibly can. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I did kind of like that uh, Zaro is really throwing Jorah under the bus and saying that, uh, well, you know, usually I can size up a man and know what he wants. And I definitely know what that guy wants. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Jorah, you know, probably working up his nerve over the course of these uh, these past 15 episodes or so. And now his spot has just been blown up. It's not great. Not great. So. Uh, that's what's going on in the east. All right, up north of the wall that we see Sam really set up all of the exposition about the fist of the first men. I honestly don't understand what the fist of the first men is. I know it gets talked about a lot. Could you just sum up what was the fist of the first men? So the fist of the first men is it is a uh, let me just quickly uh, look that up on the on the internet super fast. Hang on. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds really cool, uh, and it's basically it's like a it was a spot that was involved in I think it was a spot that was involved in the war against the White Walkers if I'm remembering that right, um, or it was like at least like it was an original site of uh, of some of the first men who were you know before the wall was erected perhaps I don't remember it exactly in terms of what its utility is, um, but it's it's visually amazing it looks really really great. Uh, 
everything that's north of the wall looks so cool and so epic. Um, but you do hear like this is the fist of the first men. We know that the long term game plan of Game of Thrones is uh, is humanity versus the White Walkers. I wonder if we ever come back here. Um, you know, it's going to still be a spot here in season two. But I wonder if, you know, will mankind be pushed back to this point and will the final battle with the White Walkers occur here or something like that? I think could be kind of interesting. Okay. I want to go back to uh, Arya and uh, Tywin Lannister. That uh, I just think it's interesting that uh, Tywin Lannister managed to avoid being on Arya's uh, death list uh, for the entire show. He's got great social game. I really do think he really so. charmed think- her. You know, he's you know, they're going to have some moments coming up here where they'll have some conversations where I think even Arya will be like, yeah, you're on the opposite side of this. But like, you know, we we like in another world like we could have gotten along. Uh, so, yeah, so Tywin Lannister, I mean, he's going to have no trouble meeting his end. You know, he doesn't need any further help from Arya. Yeah. In terms of what they're planning uh, for Rob Stark, uh, I mean, they're really uh, just they have no solution for uh, solving the Stark army at this point. They need to figure that out. They don't have like the, you know, the Red Wedding can't be hatched yet because Rob hasn't, uh, you know, he hasn't really solidified his relationship with Talisa at this point. So that hasn't been a thing. Um, so they're really trying to figure out what the hell are we going to do about this thing? Uh, but I don't know. I love everything that's going on with Arya and Jack and Hagar. It's great to have Jack and Hagar back on the show. I mean, technically, he's always been on the show because he's every character secretly. Uh, but to have the actor who plays Jack and Hagar back on the show since he sat out of season seven we haven't seen him in a little while uh and i like uh i like undercover jack and i think that this is a great version of the character um and this is you know the beginning of the training ground for Arya's, uh you know move towards being one with the faceless men uh so you, it does make you think still like it, was this something that like he saw potential in her had he was he seeking her out all of that is still kind of uh, up for debate so back in Winterfell, uh, we see Bran. He is holding court and uh, people are coming in and sort of like complaining that there's no uh, soldiers or there's nobody to, you know, work the farms. And so Bran is listening to all these people. Rickon is being a, a total little douche uh, that he just can't even listen to these people. He's just like cracking walnuts on the table. Bran has to tell him to uh, knock it off. He's hungry. What do you want? You know, the little boy needs a snack. Uh, he's bored, Rickon. He's bored. He's very bored. Uh, we also get this really interesting thing from Brand talking about the dream that he had. Yes. Of like water pouring in through the through the you know through the castle of Winterfell and people were like floating and Roger Castle is one of the people that's floating. Uh, drowned men were here in the yards uh, and I don't I don't remember having like something quite so surreal for Bran on the show. Um, but it's interesting. It's a, it, you know, I would have loved to have seen that visual. He paints quite the picture. Right. And this is, uh, I thought, an odd vision for Bran because it seems like it's uh, more of like a metaphor than we've seen in other uh, his dreams. Right. Like, typically, his visions are, you know, pretty much on the nose. 
This is more of a vision, like a prophecy of that you have to sort of like read into. It's like, okay, well, the Greyjoys are coming and the Drowned God and there are seafaring people. And that's probably what this dream is alluding to of the water coming to Winterfell. Not literal water, but it feels different than any other vision Bran has in this series. Yeah, I think that the the books are more colorful with this stuff. Like, I think that he's, you know, there, there's like a little bit more of like a trippy hallucinatory quality to some of this stuff in the book. Uh, but on the show, it tends to present itself as as kind of literal. Um, certainly for the purposes of this vision, uh, those of us who have watched the show know where this is going. You know, uh, the and I think even this episode does a great job at, at pretty much alluding to where it's going is that Theon is going to come and sack Winterfell. He's going to take control of the place. And Roger Castle is indeed going to die here. He is going to be killed by one of the drowned men. Uh, he's going to be killed by Theon, who is going to do a terrible job killing this poor guy. Uh, so that's really upsetting. Um, also, uh, just an interesting side note for those who may not know that this guy who um, Theon is palling around with, uh, Dagmer Clefjaw, uh, is basically a stand-in for the book's version of uh, of Ramsay Bolton. Um, in the books, uh, Theon is going to link up with with somebody who he believes to be Reek. Uh, the reek of Ramsey and reek, yes. but it's actually Ramsey in disguise. And he's the guy who's like whispering into Theon's ear and telling him to do all of this stuff at Winterfell only to betray Theon and, you know, do the full treatment to, to him that we get to see on the show. A lot of that, basically all of that happens off screen uh, or off page in the book. Um, so I remember at the time, if you were someone who had read the book and you were watching this show run for the first time, that a lot of people thought that Dagmar was going to turn out to be Ramsey Bolton, which was like kind of weird because the casting would have been kind kind of odd. Uh, but no, it's just a, a different character who they who they have fulfilling that same role. We're not in Ramsey Bolton territory quite yet. So Reek had like infiltrated the uh, Ironborn fleet. Yeah, there was like a no, there was like some sort of a there's some sort of attack, whether it was on the Dreadfort or elsewhere. I don't fully remember the specific details, but it's made to look like Ramsey Ramsey Snow had been killed in the attack and Reek was the one left behind when in reality Ramsey assumes the role of Reek and uh kills his original Reek, who is then positioned to look like Ramsey. Uh and so he takes on the identity of of reek infiltrates theon's inner circle and basically becomes like an iago to that guy and theon is then betrayed by this man who he believes is reek but is actually ramsey and then theon becomes reek did you notice that when uh that when quaith just to go back to quaith uh was talking to jorah and he says who are you she says i am no one yeah did that catch did that catch your interest? I think See, that's, that's part Aria of why some people think like, time traveling Arya. Time hmm. traveling Arya. Yeah, time yeah, traveling she's Arya. Hair. She's got brown hair. She's got brown eyes. Nobody else on Game of Thrones has brown hair and brown eyes except for Arya Stark. So it holds. It is known. Okay. It is known. All right. Yeah. Josh Wiggler yeah. is calling that. On the shot. And that's going to be like a really big reveal in the final six episodes of Game of Thrones. They're going to make a lot of time for that. <laughs> Okay, Josh, anything else you want to touch on here in the ghost of Hall? 
No, we kind of, at least I kind of just have to survive season two. Uh, this this rewatch is confirming for me, reconfirming for me that this is my least favorite season of the show. Uh, so far, basically all of these episodes are at the bottom of my episode rankings as we are doing them live. I think I have it as uh, third to last of all of the episodes we have seen so far, The Ghost of Heron Hall. I do think uh, the first most- half of this episode is strong and then uh, some of the stuff in the East at the end is a little uh, drags. I just I hate I hate that first that first scene's um, climactic moment. I hate the I hate the the shadow assassination. It just looks so goofy, and I hate the Pyat Pre moment so much that those two things, especially, and even Karth just looks uh, or Quaith rather Quaith Karth. You're right, Letterman. It's really difficult. Uh, those things they all are just so goofy and not the show to me. Um, that you know that's of like a of a of a season five trip to Dorn level of quality, and that's like the worst stuff. Yeah. So uh, there's just like there's things in this episode that really dragged down the otherwise pretty okay stuff and renly really gets a raw deal yeah he does yeah poor renly who really would have been i think he would have been a fine king i think that he would have been fine as good as anybody as anybody yeah i mean better than many better than many better than joffrey for sure yeah so all right there you go all right josh uh what's coming up next time in our game of thrones rewatch all right, we're going to the old gods and the new is what we are going to get into with next week's episode. We are going to see the arrival of a beloved character, Rob. We are going to see Egret join the mix. Oh. Uh, such a short time that we have to spend with Rose Leslie's character and, of course, uh, the beginning of a romance between I mean, Egret and like two seasons. Uh, it's like a solid two seasons with her, but she's really uh, pretty sparsely used in season four. So it's really like it's the remainder of season two here. She's got a strong role in season three. She's got like a few scenes in season four, but not a ton, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we're going to get into some stuff in in King's Landing. We're going I think that that's the episode where we're going to get like the mob that's going to turn on Joffrey. And I think we're going to get one of the craziest kill scenes of Game of Thrones through uh, 16 episodes of the show when the hound is like going to cut somebody in half from the from the bottom up, which I remember that being just absolutely gnarly. Uh, we are going to see the sacking of Winterfell. Theon is going to exit execute Roderick Castle. It is not quite the, one of the most iconic images in Game of Thrones, but it is a personal favorite is the look on Alfie Allen's face for Theon after that moment, I think is, is a really powerful look. Uh, so lots of good stuff. I think I think that we're we're potentially getting into one of the better episodes of season two next week. I'm hoping I'm hoping fingers are crossed. All right. So we'll get into all that and much more and then uh look for these episode recaps on wednesdays westeros wednesdays that's the new plan so uh be on the lookout for that josh anything else you want to set up heading into the new year no we're just gonna keep going thr.com slash game of thrones with some game of thrones content coming your way on the hollywood reporter we're posting these weekly podcasts over there as well but otherwise it's it's you know it's january a slower time of year we're about to move into but the game of thrones party it has it has yet to cease so we will we will continue a pace and it will be great Okay, we love hearing from you guys. Don't be a stranger. Josh is at round don't Howard. Don't be the stranger. Yeah, don't be the, the stranger. stranger. Uh, do Please, be don't the, kill us. Yeah, do be the mother and the father. Don't be the crone. Yes, yes, that's a good call. You can be the smith. That's fine. We're fine. That's We're fine okay with too. 
At Round Howard is Josh. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.